Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and favorite app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Go to SeatGeek.com slash BS to start using SeatGeek, especially if you want Warriors tickets. Uh, don't forget to download the free SeatGeek app and a promo code BS. SeatGeek ends you 20 bucks upon your first purchase. Today's episode is also brought to you by Simply Safe. There's no better way to protect your home. Remember, any home security that says it's free has a huge contract and conditions attached. Simply Safe, no long-term contracts, and the best 24/7 protection possible for just $14.99 a month. Visit simplysafebuild.com to get my 10% off discount. Today's podcast is also brought to you by my new website, The Ringer. Don't forget to subscribe to our upcoming newsletter, which launches in mid-March at theringer.com. Follow us at Twitter at Ringer and uh, and Google some stuff today because we announced uh, that we're teaming up with Medium to create this website. This will be the first premium content website that they have ever created within the whole Medium infrastructure. We're excited. Uh, those guys are great. This will be fun. All this stuff is fun. And you know what else is going to be fun? Having Andrew Bogan on the podcast. Let's go. Yeah. Clear enough for you. All right. All right, as promised, from the best team I've seen in 20 years, Andrew Bogut, you are the first Australian that we've ever had on the BS Podcast. Congratulations. Um, I'm highly honored. I figured you would be. Uh, your team is is 50 and 5. You were on a variety of lottery teams, half-decent teams. You're on a good team. You're on, obviously, a championship team last year. 50 and 5 is insane. I mean, just walk me through what it's like to just walk to the arena and say the odds are we are winning this game. Well, it's, uh, like you said, I've definitely taken some lumps, um, you know, with some teams and, and haven't experienced this uh, very often. So, we, we first and foremost, we, we cherish it um, and we don't take it for granted. We know that this doesn't happen very often and that's the main reason why we're, we're trying to keep this thing rolling. Um, but the main reason for it, in my opinion, is is, is continuity um, in the NBA. Stability with GMs and coaches just doesn't really happen for two or three or four years. Um, either a GM's getting fired, a coach is getting fired, players getting traded, um, mistakes in the draft. Whereas, you know, our franchise has made all the right moves the last four years and kept the core group together. Um, you know, and, and that that just doesn't happen very often. And I think it's proof that if you if you're patient. And make small little tweaks every season, um, and, and get good guys in the locker room. You can have a lot of success. In Milwaukee, would you have four coaches before you got traded? I uh, had three. Three: Kristowiak, Stotts, Skiles. Skiles. Yep, yep, yep. How many GMs? Uh, two. And how, like, roughly, how many teammates passed through there? You were there oh, like man, five, well, six years. Man, I, co- I couldn't tell you. I mean, that's that's the tough thing about small market teams. Yeah. Um, you know, they become a revolving door of, of people on the last year of their contracts um, or people trying to make it a one-stop shop to get their numbers up and then move on to a bigger, better thing. So you have to fuel for, for the small market team sometimes in that situation. Um, but, you know, in that in that context, it's just the way it goes. You had the fear, fear the deer season. That was kind of fun. Got a little yeah, momentum with the year. crowd. Yeah, that, that was a great year. And, and then we... <laughs> Then we go out and 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 you know, I was Kurt Thomas was a huge part of our our, our lineup. Um, Luke Ridnauer, a couple of other guys, and then we just let them walk. Um, you know, for, for basically nothing to other teams, and then 
they tried to they tried to be too smart and brought in some guys that didn't mesh chemistry wise and and it all just it all just went downhill after that so that's a prime example of of sometimes you know being happy with what you have and then just trying to make minor tweaks rather than trying to hit a home run and and try to hit a home run and unfortunately it got it got caught well, you're you're kind of a chemistry expert because your Warriors team has some of the best chemistry I've ever seen. I actually went and saw you on Saturday night against the Clippers, and uh, you know I've been going to NBA games for forty plus years. Y- you can see it when a team is locked in with each other and pulling for each other, and guys jumping off on the bench, and the way guys talk to each other during timeouts and free throws, and it just when when it's there, you can feel it. But you've also had it the other way. When could you feel it with this team? When did you know that you guys had it? Um, I think probably, you know, later in Mark Jackson's tenure, so probably, you know, three years ago, um, we knew we had the talent to beat anyone on a, on a given night. We just didn't have, you know, kind of the experience and and, and the direction to do it. Um, and then obviously Steve came along um, and it wasn't, you know, smooth sailing with, with him. You know, obviously early on um, in the championship year, you know, we we obviously were trying to cut down turnovers, so he was getting on a lot of guys and yeah, and try, trying to change try, change the way we played, especially offensively. Um, but yeah, it, it's what work wonders. I think um, guys the guys like each other in the locker room. We have a young group, and I think most of the guys on this team have figured out that hey, you know, if, if we if we win another championship or or go deep into you know the playoffs, everyone gets rewarded, and that's you know. That's what people don't understand. You can put up twenty and ten on a team that that goes five hundred and doesn't make the playoffs, um, but if you put up you know ten and five on a championship team, you, you know theoretically these days you're going to get paid the same amount of money or, or probably even more being on a winning team. So guys have started to see that, and then you see Clay get paid. You see you know obviously um, you know I signed an extension. Vester's uh, probably going to get his extension. Harrison's coming up. Um, they're bringing Andre. You know, Draymond Green gets a big extension, so everyone's going to get rewarded just just from team play, which is a great sign. I thought, uh, you know, last year before you guys won the title, Steve Kerr comes in, and one of the first things he did was he wanted to bring Iguodala off the bench, which, you know, in a thirty-team league NBA, there's only so many good players. Not something you would typically do with somebody like him, but the fact that he bought in, I thought, was a big thing. And then you see David Lee. Um, loses minutes to Draymond. He's a supportive teammate off the bench. You're playing sometimes, other times because of the matchups you're out. Is it like a domino effect? Like, How does that work with guys just starting to sacrifice? Does it take one guy to do it, or is it just a team thing? I think it's a team thing. I mean, what Andre did was, was commendable. Obviously, a starter his whole career and um, you know, was, was an all-star in Philly, I believe, for a year or two and put up big numbers. Um, and then for him to buy into that, you know, when a guy like that says, "Okay, I'm going to accept this role and, and do my best in it," no one else has any excuse to to, to gripe and and moan and bitch. So I think that kind of set the tone. Um, obviously, David Lee was 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 a huge part of our run, but um, you know, Draymond obviously took that starting spot, but David Lee still came off the bench and provided a spark for us. Um, you know, as you said, later on in the finals, I I didn't play the last two games, but was more than supportive and understood the matchups and what was working. So. Um, there's games, as you said, there's games we go big, there's games we go small, and the best thing, the best thing about that is, you know, for the observer, casual observer and the casual fan, if you look at our bench and you see guys supporting each other, like you said, um, that works wonders. Everyone thinks the Warriors are a small ball team, and but you're you're about as old school of a center as it gets. Why do you fit in with this team? Would other centers not fit in as a specific set of skills that you bring to the table 
um, when you look at the other guys in the league, why is it you? Um, I think just just being part of the, uh, a ball movement offense that's that's predicated on on ball movement and reads. Um, I like to think that I'm you know a pretty high IQ player out there that can you know read back cuts and and make the right pass. And um, you know I'm not a I'm not a guy that plays well on an isolation team, so that that's number one. Um, defensively, obviously, you know protecting the basket first and foremost. Um, and just being a physical presence, using my fouls, setting hard screens. Um, you know, when you got Steph in play, you know, if I can try and get a piece of their man's body and set a good hard screen, a lot of times I'm going to be the one that's open and I get easy dunks or lob dunks. And you see that a lot a lot in our games. So just, just being physical out there, being a presence. And then obviously when, when we go small, it's like flicking a switch because we go from the, you know, a bit more of a, a lockdown defensive physical team. When we go small, we're, we're all of a sudden running and gunning and, and full throttle. So I really like the fact that we can we can play different styles. Um, and, and our game, you know, the other night in Atlanta was a prime example of it. We need some stops in, in the fourth quarter and, and won the game with our defense instead of our offense. So it's, it's a very multifaceted team. You mentioned your screens. Uh, my old colleague, Zach Lowe, once wrote a whole piece about I think he called it the bastardry of your, of your screens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the little tricks that you have. What are some of those tricks? Just sitting hard screens. Look, I mean, um, come on, it's more than hard screens. <laughs> Look, it's all it is all about spacing. So if, if you know a guy like Steph who only needs you know that extra millisecond of space, um, I just try to make sure that you know when I hit my guy, he doesn't. I don't. I kind of don't give up that screen until he actually has to run a route all the way around me. So a lot of guys will screen and then slip out of it and roll. I'll, I'll actually screen, you know, hit the guy and then and then actually just make sure that he has to take the alternate route. So then by the time he does that, you know, with the way Steph shoots the ball and, and the spacing that he needs, he's, he's free to get get open. So, um, yeah, just trying to, be, trying to be physical and hit guys. Guys don't like it. I know guys don't like playing against me, but I um, really don't care. <laughs> Have you ever been punched in a game? Have I ever what? Punched? Have you ever been punched? Has somebody ever just got mad taking a swing at you? Um, I've been swung at um, a couple of times, but um, it's all usually usually you get swung at when people run in to break the fight up. Right. Um, there's no chance of the swing actually connecting. It's more of a TV Hollywood type punch. Um, but I'm all for it. If someone wants to have a swing, they can have, have a swing. It's it's whatever. Yeah, most of the as Jalen Rose would say, most of the NBA altercations are hold me back fights where guys are just getting held back. Yeah, as, as they yell at really each is. other, yeah. And then you know, it's they get the more you know, the more they get held back, the more fired up they get. So it's <laughs> <laughs> hold me back. Yeah, definitely interesting. Definitely interesting. Um, you know, it is what it is. I'm guessing Australia maybe doesn't work that way. Not so much. I mean, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So um, if you, if you, you know, look these days, man, to, to, to throw a punch, even to throw a punch and miss in, in this league is going to cost you a, a boatload of money. So yeah, you know. It's just it's just silly to do so, especially if you miss, because then you're even more pissed off that you missed. Or you didn't get your money's worth. But right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like the, the the good old days where people said you know you, you could swing and get a game suspension. These days you're really going to get it, and um, you know the NBA doesn't want to be you know looked upon as a league that's that's you know having guys swinging all the time. You were uh, you're the number one over overall pick in 2005. You you're kind of the bridge between. You know, the 90s had Ewing and Olajuwon and all the... It was just the David Robinson. It was the heyday of centers. And then your decade, the center started to phase out. And now the center is becoming kind of a dinosaur. What happened? Why can't centers Why can't centers make it anymore? Uh, 
question. Look, I mean, I think it's a, it's, it's first and foremost a guard orientated league, guard dominated league, um, and obviously we know the guards bring bring the ball up and guards shoot the ball predominantly. So um, a lot a lot of um, a lot of big guys obviously need the ball thrown to them. So the, the talented offensive guys, uh, the few that we have left in the league that, that really get a lot of touches, they, they're getting their touches, but they still need the ball thrown to them. But it, there's just so many talented guards these days too. You know, it's um, you know there's a lot of guys. That, Point guards now that are putting up 30 plus, you know, points on any given night. Um, guys that can really shoot the ball at all positions. So, I guess it's changed. Um, the game, the game's definitely sped up, as you know. Um, you know, analytics plays a huge part in it now to a lot of a lot of franchises, and a lot of teams want to want to play that that, that high tempo pace. Um, you know, with with defense. So, um, I don't think I don't think the center spot's going to die completely. You still need to grab rebounds and have someone protecting the rim at certain times in games, but. It's definitely um, transitioning a little bit. Yeah, it seems like the biggest change is like there's always going to be room for one big man, but what seems to have happened is the two big men together seems to be going away. Like, you know, they used to play you and David Lee a lot, and now all the advanced metrics would say, no, you actually shouldn't play those two guys together because the other team can space them out and it's too easy to score. And that's just kind of kind of gone like do you, you do you even play with a power forward anymore when you're out there is it just you and and Draymond maybe that's it yeah but look Draymond's a hybrid you know he can guard he can almost guard one through five right. he doesn't um, count yeah so I mean it is it is changing a lot of people want want that spacing um and, it, and the, the, look the days are gone of, of just dribbling it up and having even if you had a, a talented big man of just throwing it inside and then trying to you know they're going to double and you know is the ball going to get swung? I think a lot of teams preach now. You know, we're trying to move the ball around the horn two or three times. Um, most most NBA defenses, if you can move the ball around that three-point line side to side two or three times, you're gen- they're generally going to break down after 12 or 14 seconds. I mean, that's what the stats say, and that's you know that's, that is true. So you, we usually end up getting a back cut, a layup, an open three. Um, so a lot of teams want to move the ball rather than just just run it down and dump it into a big guy, which would be another reason why you know leading to the initial question is is, is big guys are obviously not not as um, instrumental as they once were. Well, it almost seems like you either you have to be a passer like you, or you have to be somebody that can shoot from outside for unless you're somebody who's a dominant inside like a young Shaq something like that. But I think you guys don't get enough credit. I was thinking about this Saturday night and I. The New Yorker wrote about this two weeks ago, so it's not like I, it was an original thought. But, you know, I think you get stereotyped sometimes as this crazy three-point shooting team and Steph and all this stuff. Your passing's just beautiful, the whole team. And, uh, you know, I grew up uh, with the Bird Celtics, and especially the 86 Celtics was their best team. And the passing was so good on that team. And it was always the extra pass. And you guys have kind of reached that level. When did When do you think that happened? What point of the season? Um, I, I think it started honestly last season. Um, the first month or two was a struggle. Um, we're trying to limit turnovers with, you know, more ball movement, and it just wasn't working. We're actually turning it over more. Yeah. But um, credit to Coach Kerr and the coaching staff. We drill, we drill every day. Um, a lot of those things that you see in games, back cuts and moving the ball side to side and and all that stuff. And we do that five on zero. We do it live at practice we do it during training camp we we, we did um i still remember the first training camp we had under coach kerr we were doing <laughs> we we're doing basic passing drills into the into the passing net you know um like left hand passes right hand okay overhead yeah and doing dribbling drills through cones 
Um, and a lot of guys were pissed because they're like, hey, you know, we're NBA guys. We're going to be doing this stuff. We did this all summer. Like, um, But Coach Kerr was like, no, we're going back to basics. You guys turn the ball over way too much. If we can limit if we can limit our turnovers and just turn it over four or five times less a game, we're going to win a championship. And, and, and guys were kind of like, oh, you know, we don't want to do these petty little drills. But after after a couple of weeks, I think guys understood what he was trying to relay on to us. And, and it, was, it was genius in, in a way because – it's just instilling the little things, you know, make the right pass, um, you know, get to a jump stop and hit your teammate on, on the chest so he can get a, you know, a nice rhythm into his jumper and, and, and it just, yeah, it worked out perfectly. So I'd probably say, you know, we really bought into that probably post New Year, the, the championship year. And since then, it's just been automatic. We don't, you know, we don't even think about it anymore. All those all, all that passing that we do, it just happens to clear, clear your fingers. Well, for somebody like you, it's in your DNA. And I think it's in Steph's DNA and maybe a couple other guys, but the, the one of the many things I think is so interesting about basketball is how when you have a certain style or you have certain guys who think that way and play that way and they're doing it day after day after day, all of a sudden by osmosis it hits the other teammates. So I'm sure there's guys on your team that on the on a different team maybe wouldn't see it that way, but it just it's it's amazing how it just spreads. And then you know, watching Saturday Night Draymond's going to take a three. The Clippers defense stops like he's going to take a three. Steph's under the basket. And at the last second, he changes his mind and just hits him for the layup. That's like, for me, the last level of basketball when you're thinking that way. And uh, it's it's just so cool to watch. You must just be thrilled because that's, that's, as I said, in your DNA, right? Oh, you're 100% right. Look, I'm, and, and in saying that it actually trickles down to guys that, that aren't used to doing that, it does. Um, I'm not going to mention names, but, you know, the last couple of seasons you have – We'd have a guy that that you know would kind of catch the ball and, and hold it, and maybe would try to go one on one before anything. Um, whereas now, it's just automatic. It's like you've got guys that weren't known as great passers or or, or, or making the right play, are making the right play and, and making great passes and swinging the ball, and it's just fantastic to watch. Um, you know, Anderson Anderson Barajau, who obviously was 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 uh, picked up by us a couple of days ago. I was sitting on the bench yesterday in the Atlanta game. I think it was the second towards the end of the second quarter. And he, he looked at me. He's like, "Man, like this is so different to, to where I was. You guys, are just, you guys move the ball so well. Like right. everyone just, you know, passes up a a good shot to get a great shot, and, and that it kind of hits you like, hey, yeah, this is normal to us. But for someone from the outside looking in or on a different team, it's like it's like we're, you know, what are these guys doing? How are they doing it? Um, but it's yeah, we we kind of see that as normal now." We're taking a quick break to discuss our friends at SoFi. It's a new wave company that is reimagining how to succeed in the financial world. SoFi realized that banks aren't going to fix banking, so they brought some Silicon Valley smarts to figure out a better way. Unlike the big banks SoFi is designed for the 21st century, they're progressive, they're nimble, they are innovative. They don't judge their numbers based on a FICO score. Instead, they look at their potential, and if they show promise, they will back them for life. And because SoFi is not a bank, they can provide services and rates that the banks cannot. Anyway, if you're looking for a financial partner designed for the 21st century, visit SoFi.com and discover why banks aren't the future of banking anymore. Terms and conditions apply. NMLS number 1121636. Again, that is SoFi.com. Back to Andrew Bogut. Do you need uh, an Australian teammate on the team now that now that Barbosa and Verjau are together? Do you feel threatened by this? A little bit. They started with the Portuguese already, so um, <laughs> yeah, we need some subtitles to understand what they're saying. But um, it's great. Look, I mean, from what I've heard, um, I spoke to Delavadova, and um, he shot me a text and said Anderson's a great guy, and 
um, that will love him. And, and uh, look, we, we, I don't think it's going to affect anything. Um, it's going <laughs> to help us if anything. You need Deladova. You need Deladova. You need to get him on your team. So you, you uh, at least that, balance that it out. Be, that might be that might be easier said than done. That one, <laughs> put some enemies in our locker room. But uh, yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was yeah, that awkward fine. for you? Um, it is what it is. Look, I mean, I respect Ali. You know, he plays hard, and um, you know, people think he's dirty, but I know he's he's, he's a great. He's actually a great fella, and um, we get along really well. And um, I know he plays physical on the court, but uh, obviously, when you when you play a team in a final series with all the pressure and emotion, there's of this stuff that goes on that leaves both sides with a sour taste in their mouth, but that's, mm. that's a part of a final series. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, I'm sure other people feel that way about Draymond, right? He seems to rub some teams the wrong way. Everybody oh, has a team like that. Myself. I mean, I got voted in some petty little poll that I'm one of the dirtiest in the NBA. So, you know, it is what it is. You're not dirty. You're just... You know, you're, you're no, physical. I mean, I, yeah, I couldn't really give, I couldn't really give two, two craps about it. But it, it you was, can it swear. Was a, it was anonymous sources, yeah. 24 from the from the Eastern Conference. So there's, there's a lot of weight in that survey. It's sensational, isn't it? I mean, um, I could go and make a survey about anything I want if I asked the right people, I guess. <laughs> this is a two-part question. Uh, one, when did you realize Steph was special? Um, Denver series in, it was my first year in Golden State, so it would have been 12-13. Um, the Denver series, we're a sixth seed, they're a third seed. Uh, we're picked to get swept by everybody, um, and we beat them 4-2, and, and he just, he just, you know, started started to show, you know, three, four-minute spurts where, he's, where he scores 18 points, you know, and that's when you, you're kind of like, wow, this, guy, this guy's a game-changer. Not only is he a scorer, he's a, he, he can, you know, he can change a game in three or four minutes, um, and we have two of those guys with him and Clay, but, that's when I realized Steph's, you know, he's going to be one of one of the best to play the game. All right, second part. When did you realize Steph was famous, and not just typical basketball famous, but like famous? Famous? Ooh. Um, like he's like a real celebrity now. Yeah, it's it's. I feel for him sometimes, man. He can't go anywhere. Like it's 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 really really bad. Um, and, and we're a traveling road show right now, obviously mainly because of Steph. Um, so every hotel we go to is. You've got guys sneaking onto our floors and all kinds of stuff going on that that uh, sometimes a little get <laughs> a little close to home for security yeah. reasons. Um, but yeah, he gets he gets you know he gets followed a lot and yeah, like, like I said, man, there's not one there's not one exact. Uh, day just kind of happened. It's yeah, it just it's just yeah, he, yeah, like I said, he can't he can't do a whole lot. He's, he's lost a lot of the um, the the needs to just go places you know, by himself and get things done. He's got to take security with him everywhere now. And um, that's, you know, that's because he's the best player in the NBA right now. He's the MVP. And, but uh, Steph does embrace it. He's very, very humble about it. And he's been a great teammate to be around. Yeah, because, I, I mean, MJ to me is still the, the apex of this, just going to those games, especially when he came back after baseball. And those guys would walk out you know, before the game and just everybody's staring at MJ and you could feel it. You know, he was he just seemed so famous, everybody taking pictures of him and all that stuff. I think LeBron was about 80% there. I, you know, the last two Cleveland years, maybe a little bit in Miami. And now I noticed that on Saturday with Steph where he comes out for the game, people are just watching him, you know, and he goes, he's talking to somebody during a free throw. People are just staring at him and, it's just got to be strange to live to live your life that way. I guess you get used to it, but 
I've, I've never seen I've never seen fans come and watch warm-ups before. Um, <laughs> it's incredible. That's just, uh, for an hour. So, yeah, they, they, they literally show up at like 90 minutes before tip. I don't even know how they get in because um, I thought the doors opened at 60. But yeah, because I, I shoot right after him, so I come out and like sometimes I'll come out and I'm like, geez, like, what the, what's going on? Like I'm used to shooting in an empty gym at my shooting time, you know? <laughs> right. You know, people are just watching Steph and he's making shots and you can actually hear the crowd like, you know, intently watching his warm-up. You're knocking down shots from from just over half court, and you hear the oohs and the ahs in the crowd. It's um, pretty amazing stuff. Have you gotten used uh, as a basketball player? To, have you got gotten used to watching your teammates jack up shots from twenty seven, twenty eight, thirty feet, thirty two feet, just in the course of a game casually? Because when I watched that on Saturday, I don't think I'll ever get used to seeing just somebody pull up from six feet behind the line and just casually make a three. It's interesting. It's interesting. Um, some coaches would lose their mind, but look, that's the confidence that the coach crew has in, has in those guys to shoot the ball. Uh, if you notice, a lot of times I'm grabbing the defensive rebounds and outletting it, and yeah. I'm not even over half court because um, <laughs> I know I know I know exactly what's going to happen. So I kind of can can reserve some energy for defense. But um, yeah, it, it's it's be- it'd be beautiful to watch, you know, and and it is when when you're on the bench watching it, and, and for the crowd is to witness what they're witnessing. Um, even you know, the other night in Atlanta, some of the shots Def made, uh, low, low, shot, low shot clock um, positions, um, uh, unbelievable stuff. And he practices, you know, all those shots that he takes that people see him, see him making the tough shots. He practices them every day and um, gets better and better at it. Yeah, he's reached the last stage of shooting where the other team is laughing on the bench, like just like in disbelief, like oh my god, what what is happening? Because they burn oh, it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you see guys like tapping their teammates' leg on the bench, like, with their, like what, what are we supposed to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. Physically, how would you compare yourself to where you were like seven years ago? Physically, um, look, I, I had some some um, tough injuries. Um, yeah, and, you know, I've got the, the injury stigma, but you know, fair or unfair, who knows? Really, really, um, not, not the issue. My my injuries were all high impact, so you know. A career-changing injury for me was the elbow, um, coming off a rim and and you know basically shattering my whole right arm, which you know I broke two or three fingers, uh, wrist on both sides, my elbow, and then fully hyperextended it. And then, then you know the following season, played with a, a floating bone in my elbow that they told me wasn't a floating bone, but then had the surgery and they pulled out a floating bone. So, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, I had some tough ones, and then obviously. Got back from that. It took me about two, four, two good years um, to actually start feeling confident again in the elbow, and then uh, the lockout, lockout year, end up getting undercut by um, Kyle Lowry shoots a floater and then tries to chase it down, and, and I went to block it, and he, you know, undercut me, I landed on his foot, and snapped my ankle. So, you know, without those two injuries, I'm playing 90% of, of career games um, possible, and unfortunately, I missed a fair few games, but. Um, my body feels much better the last, you know, three or four years. Um, played played many more games and um, be part of a championship team. So it just goes to show that sometimes, you know, there's, there's tough times throughout your career, but stick it out, and it, it couldn't have worked out better. You've had some bad luck injuries. I think some guys are injury prone, and other guys just had bad luck. I would put you in the latter category. I think you have a screen ready for Kyle Lowry at some point over the next twelve months. <laughs> up. Maybe one with the right hip. Maybe just get it out there. Um, we is it fair to say that you guys were tight in the first two final games? That we were the the two teams, you mean? No, that that the Warriors that you got that your team in the first two finals games were tight. Possibly, possibly. Look, I mean, it's a final series. 
Um, you know, LeBron and a couple of the, a couple of other guys on their team have experienced it before. Um, we had we hadn't had anybody. Um, I don't think that even went to a conference final. So to get to that stage, and then you, you realize on ESPN, like NBA news is just you. It's it's Golden State and Cleveland. Like, they're not talking about anybody else. So there's no other. There's no Eastern Conference, Western Conference. It's so um, a lot of extra attention and pressure. And obviously, we struggled a little bit. Um, our flow offensively wasn't great. But um, you know we got it. We got it one-one, and went back to Cleveland and back against against the wall. We made a few adjustments and, and got it done. Yeah, because I always thought I think Draymond is the litmus test guy for your team. Like I knew you guys were going to win on Saturday night just in the first two minutes, just watching him kind of bounce around with that happy look on his face. I think partly because Jay Z was there, but uh, <laughs> his chest is out. He's yelling. He's yapping, and that's when I know you guys are locked in. And in that finals. He wasn't like that until Game Four, and then when he was like that in Game Four, I was like, "Oh, here we go. This, this is done. This is they, they have it now." It seems like uh, the whole team feeds off him, and I also, it, it seems like he's important to Steph from a swagger standpoint because I'm not sure Steph is naturally like that. What do you think? Yeah, look, he's he's a, he's a heart and soul of our team and, and the motor. Um, so when he's out there talking trash and messing with the crowd and going crazy at referees, we, we, we know, you know, it's eventually going to turn for us whether we're down or, or whether we're up in that game. And, and right. He just does so many things that, you know, even don't show He's getting his stats now. He's getting the triple-doubles. But even before that, like, he does so many things that don't show up. And he's just, he's got a high basketball IQ. And that's a staple of our team as well. Most of the guys have a high basketball IQ. And he came through a great system with his uh, Michigan State. and just goes to show you that, you know, his first couple of years in his career, he was they didn't know whether he was a three or a four and where to play him. He was playing limited minutes, getting DMPs, and and look at him now. It's a, it's a sensational story, and he deserves he deserves it. He, he works his butt off in the gym and in the weight room. Did he celebrate the most out of anyone on the team after you guys won the title, or was it someone else? I have him as a minus two hundred favorite. Um, Draymond, yes, he was he was up there. Um, Smokey was Clay Thompson though. Um, oh. Clay Thompson, I, I didn't yeah. have him. He was like a plus five hundred candidate. Oh, Smokey, yeah, big Smokey. He's a great <laughs> fellow. Clay, he's, you know, he's had a good time. So he was, he was uh, enjoying the pools there in Vegas. Um, that was, uh, that was very good. But Draymond's definitely, you know, he's he's uh, the MVP off the court for us for sure. <laughs> so you went to Vegas for how for after you win the title for how many days as a team? Uh, we went for what was it? I don't know. Saturday night It was like. We, we we got in Friday night, Friday evening after the parade, and then we left Sunday morning. You look, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to spend more than a night or two in Vegas after a championship. No, I would guess <laughs> that. Have to call, call, call someone to <laughs> bail me out of jail or something. But it uh, it was great. It was just go there, and the best part of it was it was just the fellas. Um, so it goes to show our team again being close. We, we wanted to celebrate it with just the fellas. You know, it's a long season. Yeah, the ups and downs, um, and to, to go and celebrate it with the guys that that you went through that those those bumps and grinds with, and, and have some drinks over and, and just just let loose um, was sensational. I, I'm a huge Steve Kerr fan. I've known him for ten years, and I always thought he was going to make for a great coach. And said this repeatedly in various platforms. I'm wrong all the time, but this is one of the times I was right. One of the reasons I thought he was going to be great was because. He played for Phil Jackson, he played for Popovich, and he played with MJ, and he was in all these huge situations and learned all these different lessons about teamwork and chemistry and winning and what it takes and all that stuff. 
When did you buy into the whole Steve Kerr thing? Uh, probably from the start. Look, uh, like I said, that story about doing the fundamentals, I think it's, yeah. it was something we needed to wake us up, to, to say, hey, you guys are talented. You guys should be a championship team. There's no excuse for you guys not to be contending. Um, here's, here's some basic drills we're going to do. And and he stuck to his guns. Um, was there like a moment said, Was there a moment there in the playoffs when you guys were unsettled or whatever and all of a sudden he came in as the calm guy with five rings and gave some speech or some note of wisdom or anything that you were like, oh, yeah, this guy's won five titles? Um, a little bit, but he's always so even keel. It's amazing. Like when he gets angry, we know <laughs> we know we're really messing around. Um, but nothing specific. He's not a he's not a rah rah guy. He's not a he's not a quote guy. He's not a guy that's you know going to try and get guys revved up. Um, which is the beauty of our team. Yeah. You know, he kind of puts us in positions to be successful, and then lets us lets us kind of um, you know be you know, judge ourselves upon it and, and police ourselves. Um, so, so not really, but we, we just, like, like you said, you know, you, you can't not respect the guy that has played with the greatest players in the game. He's coach, you know, he's played for the greatest coaches in the game. And I think he just, he, he was just smart with it all. Even when he was, even when he was commentating, I believe he said he used to take notes, even just talking to, talking to coaches and stuff. So very smart guy. And you could tell he was just slowly, um, you know, building his portfolio for coaching, uh, much like he would with property, <laughs> just right. slowly getting the best of everyone he talks to in, in different teams and different systems and, and use it all to his advantage and you get what you get now. I was annoyed last year when people made it seem like, oh, this would have happened no matter who would, who the coach was. These guys were so good. It's like, are you guys watching this? <laughs> they're, they're, didn't. <laughs> yeah, their offense is completely different. What are you guys talking about? And not just that, but... I, I, I don't know if it works in the NBA when a coach is doing the look at me, look at me, watch my big speech during the timeout that I know the cameras are on. And that, that there's just no track record of that working. The coaches that work are the Popovich, Steve Kerr types that kind of lay back and let the players kind of carry the weight. Do you agree? Yeah, look, I do. I mean, um, like I said, you gotta, you got to still a good culture and a good, a good system where everybody feels comfortable. Um not not just one or two guys, or not just your favourites, and I think Coach Kerr does that. And then and then you got to let them police it themselves to, to an extent. You know, a coach provides direction and puts you in, in positions to be successful, like I said. And Coach Kerr does does an unbelievable job with that. And, and the staff, look, the, the staff. There's no ego about our staff. We have one of the most laid back staffs in the league. Like I mean, you got Luke Walton, who's <laughs> right. can't get more laid back than Luke. One, <laughs> a, great, a great fella. Um, Collins is great. You know. Um, Bruce Frazier, you know, we got we got a bunch of guys that just come to work every day. They know what their role is and what they need to do. Um, as you know, on, on NBA teams, sometimes there's some infighting even within assistants, you know, and guys yeah. kind of knife, knife each other, as we've seen in numerous teams. Somehow guys end up from behind a bench to, to the head coach within three months, you know, because they, you know, befriend the owner or, or whatever it is. And, and that's it's just so bad to see. And it's, it's the dark side of the business that people out there don't see. So we don't, we don't have that. And, you know, sensational. But to, to say that we would have won it any anyway, um, no matter who coached, yeah, that, that's kind of a slap in a in, 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 you know, slap in the face to, to Coach Kerr and staff. Was that one of the many reasons why you had your uh, NBA uh, championship ring fitted for your middle finger? Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's it's look, we we copped our um, fair, fair share of criticism throughout. You know, the Warriors tenure since I've been here it was. You know, they're, they're just a regular season team. They don't play defense. Then we start playing defense. It's like, oh, yeah, but the, 
you know, they're still a high-scoring team, they're not going to win it, and then blah, 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 and then they shoot too many threes, and then, you know, they don't have a, uh, a guy who can throw a two on the block that's going to give them 20 and 10 like Memphis do. There was always something, and then, then all of a sudden we win it, and it's like, oh, they were lucky, that you know, that won't happen again. So it's just, you know, the best the best way to, to remedy that is get a ring and just put on your middle finger when, when they take photos of it. I loved it. It was great. Uh, I'm going to be the only person who doesn't ask you about, uh, A, do you guys think you guys have a chance to win 73 games? And B, are you guys really thinking about it? Because there's no way you're not thinking about it. You guys have a chance to be immortal. I don't understand how anyone on that team wouldn't think about it. But the, with the rigors of the schedule, and you know, I was looking at your schedule coming up, you have some tough road games left. You got OKC twice. You got San Antonio twice. Um in your head, is it even realistic for a team to go seventy three and nine? Does this just seem like surreal? Oh, it does. Look, to, to say it'd be done in this year or two is, you know, tough. But when you look at how good the Bulls were and what they did, um, it's, it's an unbelievable feat. Um, look, hopefully, we have a chance to do it. Um, but I'll say this: you know, if we have a chance to to do that and not win the championship, obviously we'll take the championship. So, yeah, um, the record doesn't. It means a lot, I think. You know, media-wise, and it's a pride thing, but at the same time, I guess, you know, if we win 70 and get a ring, I think we'll be more than happy. Um, we just want to be careful that towards the end of the season, there, there will be points where, we've, you know, we've got some older guys on the team and some veterans that possibly could, you know, will need some rest. Um, but we're still we're still just as confident winning those games as we are with a full roster. So um, it will be interesting to see how it plays out, and I'm sure everyone's going to be watching closely. I'm going to translate that answer. Yes, we want to go 73 and 9. <laughs> this is going to be yeah. I mean, if you guys break the record and win the title, you're mentioned in every shortlist conversation for the rest of the history of the NBA. I would say those are real stakes, you know. I think that 96 Bulls team, the 86 Celtics went 15-1 at home, and that's another thing with you guys. You guys haven't lost at home yet, which is um which was one of my favorite things about the 86 Celtics. They went 15-1 at home, which is amazing. You guys have a chance to run the slate at home. I don't think it's realistic, but it's still in play, and we're almost in March. What is it about the home thing? Great crowd. Um, and we're just comfortable there. You know, we've won a lot, a lot of games that we shouldn't have won at home. You know, came back from some big leads. Uh, that big Nets deficit. game. You never should have won the Nets game. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And then there was the, the Toronto game. I think it was last season. We were down, I think it was 28 or 30 or something like that. And mm. Came back and won that one. So, look, we've been in positions where, you know, at home, we feel like we can always come back and, and win games and, and get on a quick run. And our crowd's obviously very supportive, very, very loud, very tough place to play. It's great. And, you uh, guys have an awesome crowd. And I'm glad it's changed a tiny bit because there's more money in the tickets oh, and everything. No but yeah. it's still great. It's still that in New York and sometimes Boston if the right team's there. And there's a couple other cities. But it's on the short list of just amazing fan experiences if you're actually there. Yeah, well-educated basketball fans, too. Totally. You know, they, they know the game. You know, they're, they're not just people that are showing up because we're good. Um, you know, the place was selling out when the Warriors were horrible, too. Um, that's what a lot of people don't understand yeah. now. That there's obviously a lot more Warrior fans out there now. That's just how it goes. But to say we have bandwagon fans, like some people are saying, is absolutely crazy because I remember playing for Milwaukee and going to Golden State, and I'm like, why are these people coming to these games? It seems like 15 and 50, um, but they, they'd sell out. No, it's it's the opposite. I went to a game during the strike season in 98-99 before you got in the league when C-Web was on Sacramento for the first season and the Warrior fans still hated C-Web from the fact that he left after his rookie year. And the Warriors were terrible and I went with some friends and their fans were amazing and I was like, 
is it always like this? And they're like, yeah, the Warrior fans are awesome. And I was like, why are they awesome? Their teams always suck. And it was just, they just love basketball. And I'm glad it's, if anyone deserved what you guys are doing, I would say it's that fan base. I wrote a whole... Oh, 100% agree. Yeah, yeah I mean... I've said that. They deserve they deserve it as much as we do. And they've, they've taken their lumps um, for decades upon decades. Decades, and, and still, yeah. Still Multiple. showed up and supported. And, and they, yeah, they deserve it. That's why the parade, having the parade in Oakland was also very special. You know, I think um, th- there was some talk that it could be in San Francisco, but I'm, I'm really glad that they put it... They put it in the East Bay and put it in Oakland and, and really pump that town up um, yeah. you know, after all it's been through the last couple of years. One more quick break to talk about our friends at Trunk Club. If it's time to upgrade your wardrobe, I have an idea. Just let Trunk Club handle all of your work for you. Trunk Club takes the hassle out of shopping by finding the best clothes for you and your style. You'll look and feel amazing. You will always have the perfect clothes for every season. Here's what you do. You go to trunkclub.com BS. Answer simple questions about your style preference and size tate would just be like i just want to dress like a 22 year old dude who loves hoops he would just put that in and trunk club would would know how to how to dress him i'm a little more complicated because i'm old and uh and i have to wear those those shirts that just go right over my belt and but don't go too far because you don't want to look like the old guy who the shirt doesn't fit anyway uh you will be assigned an expert stylist who handpicks clothes from the best premium brands approve what you like send back what you don't like guess what happens a few days later a trunk arrives on your doorstep and it's filled with hand-picked clothes that are perfect for you try them on keep what you like return the rest in your prepaid trunk trunk hub is not a subscription service get started today trunk hub will style you for free even better free shipping both ways to take advantage go to trunkclub.com slash bs back to andrew bogut all right this is really important uh ben simmons so my name is bill simmons my son's name is ben had no idea that uh, a potential number one overall lottery pick was going to be coming in the league this year. Uh, and my favorite team, the Celtics, has, I don't know, it'll be like a 10% chance to get him. Do you know Ben Simmons? Yes, I do, yep. Uh, Benny's come out, come and worked out with me a couple of times um, in Melbourne. I've got a gym down there, and he's come to a few open gyms when he was in high school. And um, Great kid, works hard. Um, and I'm, loving, I'm loving what he's doing this season so far. So is it fair to say every Australian basketball player knows each other? Uh, pretty much. It's like everyone in Australia knows each other. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times I get asked if I know Bob from Perth right. by some random person over here, it's head scratcher. But uh, look, the basketball community is pretty tight. Um, we have we have a great junior development program in Australia, one of the best in the world, to be honest, um, at a junior level. For some reason, sometimes it doesn't translate to the next level. But um, yeah, we all kind of know each other. So when did you think Ben Simmons was had a chance to to be special? Um, high school. I mean, he just you know he had that he had that run his his last season in high school where he was just dominating everybody he played against, and he's got that he's got a bit of a, a swagger and a chip on his shoulder. I remember every time they hype up a, a high school game where he was going against another another All American or another guy that's competing with him to to be the best player in the nation. He'd absolutely um, chew him up and spit him out. So. I kind of like that about him. He's got he's got a bit of a, a bit of a angry angry chip on his shoulder um, when he plays a game, and I think um, if he keeps that up, he'll have a chance to be a very good player. Wouldn't it be against the law for an Australian basketball player not to have that chip on their shoulder? Yeah, somewhat, somewhat. We all kind of we all kind of have a little bit of a. I can't really say what what word we use in Australia, but um, oh. use your use your imagination. Okay. We'll have a, a, a little bit of that in us, and um, you know we're ready. We're ready to go. We're ready to go to blows at the at the drop of a hat. But then um, 
after we go to blows, we're happy to have a beer with you afterwards. So you think he has that? You think he has that little extra edge in him because he's going to need it if he's the number one pick in the draft. I think he does. Look, a lot of people perceive it as as him being cocky or arrogant, but um, I mean, you you need a little bit of that. You need it in the right dose, and I think he has the right dose of it. I think it's it, it's driven him. Obviously, as you know, he's starting to get picked apart now by everyone in the, in the national media because he's going to be the number one pick. So they're starting to find all these tiny little faults in his game. I um, mean, the kid's 18 years old, for God's sake. Um, he's going to be fine. But he's embracing that. And he's, 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 I know he's in the gym even more than he was before with all this, you know, with any pick in his game. And he'll uh, continue to work hard. And I think he'll be, like I said, I think he's going to be one of our, probably, he probably will be the best Australian player to, to play in the NBA. I'm worried about his outside shot, and I've watched a lot of his college, and I'm just rooting for him, and I just like him. I met him last year. Like, I want him to be great. And as you said, he's 18. But on the other hand, he won't shoot from 15, 16 feet, and that's going to be the thing that determines whether he's, you know, a franchise guy or just a good player because everything else is there. Like, he's passing, rebounding, defense. Like, he has it. He has total package. But he's got to make that 18-footer, I think. And I'm sure... Yeah. He's, is he the type of guy who's going to be in the gym all summer just shooting 10,000 of them? I think he will. And look, he's got the things you can't teach, and that's the difference. You, you can you can get a jump shot better in, in, in the offseason. Um, you look at Draymond Green, and they, they said he couldn't shoot a league coming out of college, and and he's, he's shooting the ball at a pretty decent clip for us right now from three especially. So I think Benny will be fine. You can't teach basketball IQ, number one. You can't teach the way he passes the ball. They're, they're things that you pick up over time, and you either have it or you don't. Um, I think he's shot. You know, with, there's plenty of players that have came out of college and, and high school that haven't had the, you know the most steadiest of jump shots um, that have that have you know transitioned and put the work in in the summers and get with a trainer and he'll be fine. And I know he works his he works his butt off, so I don't, I don't really have any any stress in that in, on that side of things. Do you have a borderline illegal screen waiting for him next year or no? <laughs> nah, Benny's my man. I'll try to I'll try to keep. You gonna hold back? Oh, you're gonna hold Unless back. Unless we're in the finals, unless we're in the finals. I mean, Dally went out in the finals. I put him in the front row a couple of times. Um, but that's, that's how it goes. When the chips are down, we're still still bailing to win for our team. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Do you? Uh, he, might, do you he might be in Philly, so he might, might not have to do anything. That's true. You might not see him for the for twice a year for the next ten years. I hope. I hope that's not where he ends up. It would be more fun yeah, if he I'm, ended I'm, up uh, yeah, in Boston. It'd be a tough one to go to, to go there, obviously. But look, Philly's trying to do the right thing and rebuild. And I know the head coach there, and I know he loves Benny, so it wouldn't be the end of the world. But it'd be tough to, to, to you know comprehend all that. The frightening one would be if he ended up in Minnesota with Towns and Wiggins. Then it would be like, uh oh. Yeah, that, that that's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the most frightening story. And Exum, you think is going to be okay? Yeah, I saw I saw Dante have an All Star break. Um, he's doing okay. Look, I feel really bad for him because he was. He was starting to turn turn the corner. Um, had a great summer league, and then comes over with us for the national team in Europe, and just a, just random play, no one around him, and he's in his knee gives way, and he does it. You know, does his ACL. So uh, very tough for a young guy to go through that. So he's understanding the rigors of rehab and all that now, and um, he's in good spirits. He's a great kid, um, and yeah, he'll be, I think he'll be fine. He'll probably be ready for the next NBA season. I'm not sure if he'll play in the Olympics because he's, he's 12 month period is right around the Olympics start. So I, I doubt he can, he can try and rush himself back for that. You're skipping the Olympics, right? Or are you playing? No, no, I'm playing. I'm playing. You're playing. Yes. But no Ben Simmons. Cause they'd left him off two years ago. <laughs> is that true? 
done your research. <laughs> yeah, I done my research. That's, uh, that's I have to do research. Look, when Ben Simmons is involved, I do research. Yeah, look, I mean Benny's got got a very very busy off season um, with with the uh, with the draft coming up and, and figuring out where he's going. I know he's still a little a little burnt by not making the 2014 team, but um, but he's like 15 years old. How can he be mad about that? <laughs> Can you call him for us and get him, get him on the team? This is out. ridiculous. Can't you guilt him into it? You're like his like his uncle, big brother. <laughs> Your big brother slash uncle. We'll talk to him. We'll talk to him. But look, I understand it. Look, I mean, I when I got when I was um, going through my draft process, be it wasn't the Olympics, it was the, the under twenty one world championships by then, and they were calling me trying to get me to play in it, and it, with draft workouts and all that, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. A lot of pressure on you and going through all that stuff. So, look, we wish Benny the best. We know that. You know, if he has the opportunity to play in the future, we're hoping that he'll play. So you're going to try to guilt trip him into it. That's how I translated that answer. Do you, Somewhat, do you're texting yeah. him. Do you text him like yeah. a couple times a week about it? Uh, I was going to tweet him. He's on Twitter a lot, so I might have to start tweeting him weekly and just just get some Australian fans to add him and give him the guilt trip. They, that's totally. They, Australians could do good guilt trips. So if he played, let's say he played, just for the sake of curiosity, and you're playing, Dovadova, he's playing. Yeah, Dover, Dover, Patty Mills. Aaron Patty Bain. Mills. Aaron, this is a good team. Yeah, we've got a solid team, man. That's that's what you know really excites me, and that's why you know obviously going to the Olympics with that squad, you know we have a chance. Um, Who's it, who are your shooters? Well, Patty's probably going to be our gunner from the outside. You can get it going pretty quickly. Um, Do you have the six seven generic Australian guy who just makes threes? Oh, definitely. Yeah, we've got a guy in Europe right now uh, by the name of Ryan Brokoff. He played at Valparaiso a couple of years ago. Unbelievable uh, three-point shooter. So there's some talks that he's he's, he's getting NBA looks right now um, for next season. Mm. Hope that works out. But yeah, we have we have some guys stocked in Europe that are very very good. David Anderson, who's played played in Europe um, a number of years, played played for the Rockets. Um, but oh yeah, he yeah. I liked his game. It was kind of funky. Yeah, he's got that Euro up and yeah. up there, and he can, he can, he's really improved his three ball. So look, we have a lot of different guys, um, and then. You, throw in six or seven NBA guys. I think just having NBA guys on a national team brings a different confidence. Yeah. Um, the, team, the national teams that have NBA guys, it's just even from a somewhat an intimidation factor of playing guys that don't have NBA guys, it just helps. I think it gives you a bit more of a swagger and we finally have that. You know, I can remember being the only NBA guy for campaign after campaign and it's so nice to have, you know, other guys playing in the best league in the world. Andrew Gaze doesn't have any like six, four kids who can just shoot 25 footers. That didn't happen. He does. I don't believe they they, they play, but um, I think they're they're much younger and they're sixteen, seventeen right now. So oh, um, tell them to step it up. So best case scenario is you, is at some point in the preliminary round you play France because I really feel like you guys could knock France around and get get in their heads. Oh, what's funny about that is Joe Ingles um, talks smack to Rudy Gobert about that every day. Apparently, <laughs> Joe's been telling me so they they get into it a fair bit um, about that. So that would be a very interesting matchup. Joe Eggles, that that's another good one. You guys yeah, are kind of a Joey sleeper. Well. Yeah, yeah we, we got a squad. We got a decent squad. So, barring injury and everyone's healthy and feeling good going in, we you know we like our chances. All right, so America, not America, Australia really has to start guilt tripping Ben Simmons like right now. He should really start taking the heat a little bit because this if he's in there and he's the number one pick and he's a Boston Celtic, and then he's on the Australian Olympic team, I might just switch. If he's a Celtic and he's, I might that might be it. I might just change change nations for the tournament. Yeah, come over, we'll commentate some of our games. Yeah, I'm in. I've always wanted to go to the Australian Open. Everybody says it's amazing. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. 
I couldn't afford it as a kid, to be honest. Yeah. Um, very, very expensive ticket, but um, now you can afford it. Oh yeah, but now I'm here in summer. I can't <laughs> just can't leave the fifty and five Warriors to go watch some tennis, you know. Oh it is. Oh yeah, you're right. Do you you go back every summer though, right after the season? Yeah, but it's winter there. Yeah. It's winter yep. during the summer here, and now I'm confused. Yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? It's a different hemisphere. It's funny how that works. Yeah, you broke Cold. my you broke my brain. Um, <laughs> listen, good luck on this. Uh, this, I mean, this is incredible, man. And just the fact, I know you've been through some stuff with injuries and everything, that you landed on this team with a great bunch of guys and a great coach. Like, I'm really happy for you because sometimes in the NBA, you know, somebody will play their whole career and they'll have bad breaks and then their career's over. And you found like this kind of late in your prime nirvana. It's really cool to watch. Yeah, I'm very thankful for it. It's, it's amazing. I talk about it a lot to, to friends and, and family. And like I said, it's just funny, funny how things work if you stick it out. Yeah, cool. All right, we'll work on Ben Simmons. Good luck with the rest of the season. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Cheers. Thanks. All right, take care. All right, thanks so much to Andrew Bogut. That was fun. Our first Australian. Man, we got to work on Ben Simmons for that Olympic team. Thanks to SoFi.com for sponsoring today's show. Unlike the big banks, SoFi is designed for the 21st century. They are progressive, nimble, and innovative. They can provide services and rates the banks cannot. If you're looking for a financial partner designed for the 21st century, visit SoFi.com. Terms and conditions apply. NMLS number 1121636. Thanks to HBO Now. You do not need cable or satellite to watch HBO anymore. Download the HBO, HBO Now app. Start your free one-month trial today. Fast 7's on HBO Now. That's all I have to say. Uh, thanks to SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast and Channel 33, our buddies, our friends. And don't forget to follow The Ringer on Twitter, at Ringer. And don't forget to subscribe to our upcoming newsletter at theringer.com. Back later this week. See you soon. We about this bitch. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here, close your eyes, and picture me rolling.